We all need to laugh. We choose truth over facts. And now for a perpetual political protest in progress. Judge my physical mental suit, my physical as well as my mental suit fitness. Coffee time. And that's right, coffee time. Welcome back to the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. I'm Jason Floyd, your humble host, and it's been a while. It's been a minute uh, since we had our last podcast. I basically took a month off and uh, tried to do a interview with senatorial candidate Hunky Lee last week, but we had a, a, a malfunction in our system, and unfortunately I was not able to publish that podcast about half of it uh, my mic was not recording properly but uh today we are uh joined by a, a good dear friend of mine from high school ian Janeri. welcome to the cafe studio ian thanks for having me man so ian is a uh he's a songwriter and a singer and a missionary his whole beautiful family is here hanging out with us it's um we are at uh uh, at our studio here in Soldatna, and uh, we've got some really cool stuff to talk about. We we have the country of Mozambique, and and Ian, tell us a little bit about your roots here. I guess when you came to Alaska, where you grew up, where you went to school. Uh, the roots in Alaska. Okay. So yeah. So in 1990, my family moved here from Southern California. Both my parents were city people. My dad from Brooklyn, uh, my mom from Riverside, California. I have three brothers. They raised us all in Big Riverside, California for a lot of years. And in the late 90s, uh, population got big, crazy, and my parents were just ready to go somewhere where they felt like they could raise the kids in a safer environment. And uh, after watching Swiss uh, Mountain Family Robinson, they decided they were getting out of there. Ended up in Kenai for a year, loved it, but then an opportunity came for them both to teach at the same school in North Star Elementary in Nikiski and found a place there and lived there for the better part of a decade. I graduated in 96 as a Nikiski Bulldog. Right, right, go Bulldogs. Uh, I graduated in 95 and Ian lived just down the road from us. Uh, both of our dads had a passion, a passion for guitar. And uh, as I remember you, Ian, you were like uh, you were like the athlete's athlete. You you had uh, everything was branded. You had your teams. I, yeah. I think you still have your teams, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, you had a big baseball uh, card collection, and um, and and you were you were the jock's jock. Yeah. And the rest of your family was very. Uh, they were all performers, right? Right. Yeah. Stage uh, driven. Stage driven drama yeah. drama uh, folks, and um, but not you. But now things have flipped a little bit. Things have flipped. Tell us about a little bit about that. Yeah. So um, similar to you coaxing me into cross country running for the four years that I did, and adding that to the the jock list. Uh, junior senior year, a couple of teachers and my parents. Um, Bob Bird actually uh, encouraged me to audition for the first musical in the high school there, South Pacific, and uh, landed a role there. What was your role? 
in South Pacific. Joseph Cable. Okay. The romantic lead, bro. <laughs> yeah. And so ended up getting to sing on the magical team and stuff. But that was really an out of my out of my comfort zone my junior, senior year. Phil Morin uh, helped me, encouraged me to go into a couple of things as well, too. And so that put me on the stage. But I was very familiar with the stage. I just hadn't been on it, you know, because of my parents. Yeah. Now, now I'm writing music, playing guitar, was a touring music missionary for a season, continue to write music, have some albums out. So it's, it's yeah, it's kind of turned. So tell us about the albums. Where can people hear some of your music? Um, so I went with my middle name, Ian Christopher. It's with a K and an F. And around 2013, started putting out albums. There's um, Tomorrow, When Love Compels, and Dry Bones. And then a combined album called Cam and Ian uh, with a local colleague in um, Mozambique. So iTunes, Spotify, basically every platform. If you look up Ian Christopher Music, you could find it. Okay. So Ian Christopher Music, iTunes, Spotify. Um now, you came to the, the cafe a little bit earlier, and we had just an awesome, intimate sort of jam session. Oh, that was good. Music in the round. We had four different singers and songwriters present work, and we just yeah. kind of hung out, chilled. And, and, yeah. uh, but one of the interesting thing was, the things there was um, uh, God gave you a word for uh, one, of the, one of the families there. And it was, I got to sit sort of on the sidelines and watch firsthand as God used you to speak into this family's life. And um, so I really want to, you know, normally our, our show is about politics, but every once in a while we, we step away from that. We, we do, we do a special episode. So that's what today is, is a special episode. I want to talk more about God today okay. and really um, how you felt led or called to become a missionary to Africa, to specifically to Mozambique, and right. kind of about about your journey, your path. Where did that start? Yeah, it, it really started in Alaska. My wife's probably off on the side chuckling right now, probably thinking, how much time do you have? Because Ian's going to have to shorten this up to really make it in bite sizes. But it's a good question. So um, during that time of trying to figure out whether I was just the athlete or not, the Lord had... Um, you know, and for those of you that are believers, non-believers on here, believers, whatever, um, don't take this as I'm trying to push this in a certain direction or something. This is for me. I believe that that God is a God that wants us to know He's speaking, and that we have the ability to hear. And uh, whether you're in a season of not being able to hear Him or being able to hear Him is neither here nor there. This is just my story. So, when I was in Alaska and I moved here, I. I moved here not wanting to come here. Of the three brothers, I did not want to come. I was the one kicking and screaming from California. And when I got here, a couple of men in my life invested in me, showed me how to hear from God, and I started pursuing hearing Him in different ways. Some of those circles you were with with me in, and uh, some not. And about freshman year of high school, I went to a camp, and there was a guy that was leading the worship and speaking and at one of those intersections, he called out to people that had a heart for missions. And my take on um, God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit moved my heart in that moment to answer a call to missions. And I didn't know what that meant at the time. I just knew that 
God was grabbing my heart. And about two years later, at a different location, actually, you'll get a kick out of this. I think, if I remember right, it was like up in the Anchorage area, and I think a church that Sarah Palin attended back in the day. <laughs> I just remember that. And um, the same guy with a very similar message um, called out the same thing, and the Holy Spirit grabbed me again. And um, that was my junior year. My senior year, I left chasing baseball. And after my first year of college baseball, I came back to the valley here in Alaska, kind of disheartened and just trying to listen to the Lord. And he reminded me of some of that call. And when I went back, I played one more year, met Carla and realized the Lord was asking me to give up baseball because her heart was actually to go to Africa as a nurse and possibly go into missions. And so during our courtship, the Lord started bringing back those things he had told me around my freshman year about missions. And I never thought it would be Africa, um, but that's where he sent me. So it started here, here in Alaska. So the organization that first took you to Africa, tell us a little bit about that. Um, we went with a group called I Reach Africa out of Northern California, out of Bethel Church, um, which in the conservative uh, circles, it might be a little bit, um, too Pentecostal or too out there, but they are an incredible people, uh, people of um, believing that they can hear from God. And so that group sent us out to Mozambique. We were with them for a year or two and then felt like God was sending us to the north. And when we went to the north, we met a person um, that was recruiting us from the group YWAM. And when I was in those years being called by the Lord here in Alaska, I had had some YWAM missionaries come through and always thought we might be a part of YWAM, but it had just had never happened. And we were very close to getting kicked out of the country in 2017. And my son, Jaden, got a word from the Lord that he heard the word YWAM. And 12 hours later, a group from the North called us from YWAM and said that they wanted to adopt us and bring us into the ministry, and we've been with them ever since, five and a half years, something now. How cool is that when the when the Lord uses your children to tell you where to go? Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> you know, they have two other brothers, and as you know, with your kids, they can form a coalition. And so, so we are praying in the living room, no furniture, in a house in the middle of a village with mud brick houses around us, been there about 60 days thinking we're already going to have to leave. The kids are crying. And Jaden hears this, and I turned to my old, my other two sons, and I said, "Do you believe what he's saying? Like, it, let's are we all at peace with this?" And both brothers were like, "Yep, we believe it." And twelve hours later, they called us. So, how old are your kids now? Uh, my oldest is eighteen. The one that heard from the Lord is fifteen and thirteen. So, all teenagers and an eighteen-year-old. Right, right. How many of those? Were they all born in Africa or were they born in the United States or how, how, no, that, how that worked out? We've only been there seven and a half years. And so they all had to make a decision to come. In 2013, Carla, my wife, started planting the seed at dinner because we knew we were beginning to get mobile and that he might send us. And so we started asking him, what would it be like if God called you a different country? And each one of them had to spend the better part of six months to a year figuring out whether they were hearing a yes or not. And uh, my youngest, it took a while. But they all finally agreed and said, hey, we're, we really feel like God's calling us there too with you. And so they were full 
six, eight, and ten, maybe somewhere in there. Because we've been there, what, seven and a half? So, yeah, six, six, eight, ten, somewhere in there. So there's a lot of countries in Africa on the continent there. Why Mozambique? What what was what was the confirmation yeah. that you received that said put a pen in it? That's this awesome. country, this is where we're going. It's good question, Jason. Man, almost like you have a podcast or something. Man. <laughs> a lot of people don't ask that question even when I come home, which can be disheartening because they don't, you know, think to ask stuff like that. And so in. Um, when I became, I became a music missionary with the songwriting stuff about two and a half years, three years before we left. And on one of those years, someone recruited me to go to Guyana. So Guyana is at the top of South America. It's right in between French Guyana and um, uh, Suriname. And I went with my guitar, you know, and fell in love with it. And it was exactly like Mozambique. So it was tropical climate, um, mostly Africans and Indonesians there. And I just fell in love with it. I thought I, I left coming back there with so many miracles we had seen. I was like, we're moving to Guyana, like on the plane ride back. And my wife was like, hold on, let's, let's, let's pray about where this is going to be. Cause I think she was still thinking Africa, even though we were both thinking missions. And so she had been promoted, um, in her hospice care journey as a nurse director and was working late nights. And I started, oh, you'll get, you'll get a kick out of this. This is how I found out. I was tracking down some of my friends on Facebook and I found Henry Haney. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll, we'll keep that story for later. I kept, I kept Henry, <laughs> right. I, and I looked him up and found out he was a worship leader in San Diego and we started connecting. And on one of his pages that he sent for an event he did there was a mozambique connection to iReach africa and when i went to that website the one who ran it tracy evans out of bethel i read her bio and looked at the site and i literally fell to the ground and started weeping because my wife when we used to walk around grand Canyon university talk about missions what she had started was the description of what carla wanted to do and so she got home and I said, look, here's the link. Take as much time as you want, but the presence of God's on this. And she got home. She was like, yeah, this is another Guyana thing, right? Well, two weeks later, she checked into it, hit her, hit her the same way. And that was, it was instant. It was like, okay, Mozambique. And within, within a month or two, we were talking to Tracy and Carla was shipping out to do a test trip. So, so Mozambique is, uh, you know, much of, much of Africa was uh, part of the, colonial expansion of European mm. nations and Mozambique was no exception to that. They, I believe after conversations with you as Portugal mm -hmm. had, had uh, war torn for many years with Portugal, the Portuguese yeah. had come in and, and colonized uh, the space. And um, so you're, you're rolling into Mozambique an Alaskan kid with Californian, uh, <laughs> you know, hints of California still on you. Right. And um, you got the call of God on you. You speak English. Did you speak Portuguese? No. We okay. had to learn it there. So let's talk about the language a little bit and the people group that mm -hmm. you are, are working with now. Sure. So we, when we flew in, we took a month and went down to Maputo, which is way down the south as the capital. And we spent every single day for a month, all of us learning Portuguese. And uh, moved to central Mozambique on base, had a language learner there, 
for a year or so, plus the kids playing with them. And so Portuguese, the, by the first year or so, we were speaking Portuguese decent. And then when we got called to the north, the, the people group that we work with now are called the Yao. And the Yao make up three million people between Malawi, Tanzania, and Mozambique. So and it's pronounced Tanzania. I mean, it, for an American, it's Tanzania. Right, right. But when you hear 85% of the people say Tanzania, now I just say it that way. Right, right. I, I bucked it for a long time. Well, yeah, yeah. So, so that's like uh, when we hear Ukraine. Uh-huh. And we hear what I thought was Kiev. Yeah. The Ukrainians call it Kiev. Yeah, or you Uganda. Know. Uganda. Uganda. That's how the South Africans say it. Okay. Uganda. All right. it. Yeah, it's so funny. So this people group we work with, the majority of them, I mean, over 60% of Mozambique's illiterate anyway, but this people group, 98% can't read and write. And so just in our area alone, there's probably 500,000 from where we are to the top of the border. There's 500,000 Yao that make up that area and they can't read or write and they don't speak Portuguese as well. So when we went to that village, it was like we needed to learn the dialect. So you told me previously that many of the, the Yao choose not to learn to read or write. Yeah, it's definitely a, a cultural... I hate to use the word rebellion because it's their country. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, why would you want to learn the, the language that enslaved you anyway? Um, and I don't mean any disrespect to Mozambique or the leadership there in that because that's their business language now and stuff. But for me as a Westerner coming into their culture and learning from them, I have a hard time, you know, wondering why they do too. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure I'm not the only one that's ever thought that, but for their people group, it's so entrenched in culture. They go back hundreds of thousands of years connected to Zanzibar and the, the slave trade and fighting amongst themselves with the Makua that they just, yeah, education's not, a big deal to them between them not really being able to progress and between their their grandmas of the grandmas of the grandmas wanting to keep that culture it's slowly changing but mm-hmm. yeah interesting so um so the yao have they ever had their own written language yeah so they have chiao and uh the the i have a buddy right now that's actually in uh his name's tobias he's in I'm trying to remember where he's at Anyways, in Europe somewhere, and he was, or maybe he was in the States. He he looked at the first written out Bible. I think it went back to like 1900. It must have been connected to David Livingston or something like that. But he was looking at sending us pictures of it. So it's been around a while, but there hasn't been copies of it. And uh, we have neighbors in our village that actually helped write the book on the written portion of it. And then... Um, in Malawi, we have some friends that actually are doing written dictionaries and, and Bibles now. So it's, it is written. It's just most of the Yao can't read or write it. So they're, they're using Roman, Roman uh, letters for that, or they have their own, their, own, uh, their own language that it's written in, their it's, own symbols? It's or? their own. It's their own uh, they classify it under the traditional Bantu. So Swahili, Shona, all the ones that are in that region are all known as Bantu Africa languages. So they use those syllables and those um, letterings. They have yeah. their own symbols, kind of like mm-hmm. kind of like uh, the, the the Islamic world has its own. No, no, own. no, it's, it's just like ours, like American. So they use so the Roman. C-H-I-O, yeah. Okay, the Roman letters. Uh-huh. Okay. 
Yeah, so in the Japanese culture, what they would call that is uh, they actually have several different different uh, alpha, characters, al- alphabets. Right. They're not really alphabets because that's a Roman idea, but yeah, but alpha and beta. But um, they, in order to bridge the gap between that Asian culture and that those Asian symbols and languages, mm. they have applied the Roman alphabet. Oh wow! To the sounds. And they, okay. So the the Japanese have the hiragana and uh-huh. the katakana, and uh, then they have a language that they or alphabet that they call romanji. Oh my goodness! And they have wow. kanji also. So they have hiragana, katakana, wow. kanji, and now romanji. And um, so we just had we just sent a uh, foreign exchange student from Japan back home, and we were kind of talking about that this week. So a little. Tangential. Yeah, no, we read you know, it Chizungu, Chinglish. We like read it that way. So okay, yeah, all right. So um, you're back in the states. Uh, is Alaska your first stop on your tour? Arizona was the first stop. This was a God-given open door package wrapped in a bow. Finally, get to come back. You know, two week stop. I notice you have not been wasting time with fishing. Oh man, we spent a lot of time fishing. <laughs> There's a lot of bur- lot of daylight to burn. A lot here, of daylight so to good. burn. Yeah, yeah man. Burn. So so after Alaska, so you're here on the peninsula till the 18th, then you go up to the valley. Uh-huh. Uh huh. How much longer in state before you yeah, you we'll, take off? We'll fly out on the 22nd. On the 22nd. So so, so let's talk a minute, um, real quick. I, I guess what are the other states you're going to? We're going to be in Texas. We're going back to Arizona again. Uh, New Orleans or Louisiana and Na- Tennessee. Okay, Tennessee. Curious. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But um, uh, for those who are listening to the podcast who may not be in Alaska, or even those who are, what's a good? See, I always forget to do this when I'm talking with people, so I'm yeah, gonna I'm gonna do I it do right too. now. I do too. What's a good way for them to reach out to you or connect to you? Because yeah, sure. really, you know, networking is a big part of missions work. Sure, is connecting with other like minded kingdom focused people absolutely and if if you're listening to this and you're like wow i'd really like to support ian and his his uh his work yeah how do they do that yeah i mean at this point we'd love to hear directly from you which is great we have um a ministry email you can direct and we'll it'll be carl or i that gets back to you it's called uh the address is compelled ones at gmail so, um, and then also we have a YouTube channel that Tobiah, my oldest son edits that has clips and stuff of us in the village and kind of what we're about. And so if you go to YouTube and look up two words, compelled ones, uh, you'll find us on there easily, or you can look up Ian Christopher music and I can point you in the direction of either, you know, um, the website that's coming in our emails or that other site. Yeah. That's awesome. So let's talk a little bit about Carla. We wanted to get her on the microphone, but she's kind of shy. Yeah, yeah. Is, is that is that characteristic of her in Africa? Is she shy, or is, yeah, yeah. is that just a thing here? No, she is. She she's very not not shy when when uh, when it's her moment to shine. She will shine. She doesn't doesn't like being on stage. So let's talk a little bit about her projects. What what is she doing over there? Right now, that's probably the biggest thing um, that we're focused on. So we've been there, like I said, seven and a half years. The first two we spent learning the country. And then the next two and a half, three, we've been in the north establishing the dialect. Um, 
sharing the gospel through audio Bibles and through the Word of God, me going out and actually meeting people at peace and finding out who wants to receive the Word of God or not. And uh, Carla during that time was also bridging a gap between the government hospital system and the Yao people in the village with, as you can probably assume any listener on here right now, if you have hundreds of years of steep culture where they're not even wanting to be in the education system or speak the language, you can imagine they don't have a lot of trust for their government in the medical side of things either. And so uh, many of them have things that they could be um, helped with if they would literally just go to the hospital, even though there's so little resource, some basic things that could be helped and taught to them. And so Carla spent the last two or three years bridging that gap, building relationship with the doctors in the hospital, using her education as a highly educated nurse in the village and bridging the resource and the lack of resource um, with the villagers so that they would learn to trust her. And then she would able to be able to create communication lines with them to go to the hospital and not just leave or run away. And now we're at the point with there's enough relationship built and Carla's done enough mobile work with special needs kids under five with um, elderly that have respiratory or palliative or hospice care needs that they have now granted us permission to be able to build a, a clinic community center type situation where we can train up some of their government workers along with staff that we pick or local villagers and she can start training them on um, uh, end-of-life care, uh, special needs care, bedside manner, all the things that they don't get at the hospital right in our village. Literally, I can throw a rock and hit our land. And so she's building. When we go back, we have the land cleared and everything, and we're about ready to start putting the foundation in. We're just trying to raise right now a hundred grand to that'll be everything that'll be the foundation the bricks the walls the roof everything other than the sustainability of the resources themselves each month how many how many square feet on this building um i have a i have a picture of it but i think it's about 20 how far across is your is this building right here oh i would say it's 30 is it 30 probably full? 30 feet. Yeah. So, so I'm thinking in meters, that's what's changed in my head. Mm-hmm. So it's probably 20 or 25 feet by um, 25 meters is probably close to 150 feet, mm-hmm. right? Somewhere in there, 120 times three. Sorry. Don't ask me 100, math. 100 feet. So you're probably 20 <laughs> feet by 100 feet. Okay. And four or five main rooms. Okay. Yeah. So 100 grand. That's it, man. The price of two, the price of two land cruisers or two vehicles for some NGO in some part of Africa. Okay, all right. There's probably a listener out there who could write you a check today. You know, I I didn't used to believe that, but a couple of years ago, God built my faith on that when I saw something happen. Yeah, there yeah. probably is. Yeah. So, so um, yeah. So reach out to Ian. Go ahead and give us the the contact information again. How to reach you? Yeah, compelled ones. At Gmail, C-O-M-P-E-L-L-E-D, and then ones, O-N-E-S, at Gmail. And if it's specific to, like, the medical ministry, uh, just reach out. You just say Carla with a C. But either one of us will get the message for sure. So while we've been talking, I've been trying to load your Ian Christopher music. Can you give me the actual um, website address for that? It's a, it's a YouTube channel. Okay, That's YouTube. why. Yeah. Okay, so Ian Christopher... 
remarkably, there's a lot of Ian Christophers on YouTube. So Ian Christopher Music, mm -hmm. YouTube. Because I, I may have the ability here to go ahead and stream uh, some of your music here for our listeners so they can get a little, oh, right. little, little taste of what's going on. So um, so your mom or and dad, Spotify and what, what do they think? What do they think about this? I mean, yeah. obviously, they got to be proud. But um, Well, I mean, my mom and dad took a huge leap leaving Riverside, California in 1989-90 in their own right. You know what I mean? Like... They saw it as an opportunity to reach kids in a in a more rural area, and left two really good tenure jobs in the city. Kids seemed to be pretty safe, and we moved up to the last frontier. Like I was part of that, and so they're really excited about what we did. It's been hard though. I mean, they don't get to see us and very often, and uh, it's been three years since the last time we saw them. We're spending all of October with them now. But, yeah, they're stoked that, that we took the same leap they did. Have you had any any of your family able to come over and actually visit you in Africa? Nope. I'm looking forward to any any friends and family that would like to do that, actually. So there's a standing invitation? Yes. Groups of four are better than groups of 10 or 12. Okay. So let's talk about, let's talk about real quick, um, you know, we've just been through this huge uh, issue with the pandemic, Right. Yeah, for real. So let's talk about COVID in Africa. Let's do it. So what? What about it? I mean, it so for the first six months to a year, I was actually just encouraging people here in the states to press into what God was doing. Don't isolate yourself as much as you can. Um, try to hear what God's saying to you that you wouldn't have listened to when you were distracted with your jobs for the the fifteen years prior, the twenty years prior, and then about a year after that, it hit us and. Uh, it was, it was rough. It was rough. It felt very isolated. I felt like I could almost feel what the Westerners were feeling. And uh, long story short, we, were, we had our head down at what we were doing. But six months ago, man, I was pretty ready to get back here and get rested and be around people that spoke English and could at least understand. And, uh, and actually, that's carried over and been hard because when you, you hit ground here and people have been hit with what they've been hit with, it's a whole lot of not asking about the missionary's life. And it's almost like all over. You, what do you, you want were abandoned me? and now you come <laughs> back and they're like, let me tell you what happened in my life. And so you feel like you're giving out again. And so not that I'm bummed about that, but it's a challenge. It's a challenge to. So to, did your support basically dry up during COVID? Um, you know, God really blessed us with that. We had a hard three or four years raising support up to COVID. And God actually grew our support during that time. It, it's a mirror. It was a miraculous deal, like not by a lot, but enough to keep us sustained and and focused. So there's this idea of of the 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 tent making ministry, mm -hmm. basically the ministry that's unfunded, um, but it doesn't have support other than the support that God affords through a vocation, sure. a secondary vocation. There's a lot of a lot yeah. of people, even in Alaska, who are are ministering to needs throughout our community and, yeah. and in the villages and stuff, but they don't get paid for what yeah. they do and they have to have a day job. So have you had to do any of that while you were in Africa? Yeah. Well, so Mozambique won't let me. So we actually on our residencies, it says missionaries. And if I, if I want to apply for it or build a business of some kind, I actually have to change my residency dairy to a vocational one. And in some countries north of us, you have to do that. 
But in Mozambique, since you don't have to, we haven't forced that. And so what I've been doing, because I've been telling the locals, my locals and my local staff, that I would be doing that if I could, because man, they're 75 years behind in everything, bro. Like I could bring in some cash, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. on stuff that we accomplished here in America 50 years ago, you're on the ground floor there. Like you could be a billionaire, a millionaire, you know? And so I'm trying to teach these guys on ground, local financial principles and things like that you would learn from Joseph in the Bible, but also just sound business ideas, how to make money and save it, get, get in their bank accounts, their identifications for that kind of stuff. And so I'm kind of taking what I would have done and I'm passing it on the best I can because I'm actually not allowed to make any money there. I have to go on sport. So when you went to school, you were at Grand Canyon State? Grand Canyon University, yeah, for a couple years. Okay. And so what what did you study while you were there? Business. Business. Yeah. Okay. So you studied business and now you're in the business of not doing business. Isn't that funny? Right. But I actually left Grand Canyon University at that time because I wasn't learning how to build a business. I was learning how to climb a corporate ladder. Right. So I I ended up leaving. I got my degree later, not from GCU, but... And they're a great school, but I mean, I, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I started a business and got married to Carla while she was doing a nursing degree. Cause I wasn't learning how to build a business there. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, I've heard of other ministries that will actually do like, uh, teach locals how to develop cottage industry. Mm-hmm. For instance, buying a goat, Yeah. you know, buying, buying a family, a, a couple of milk goats or, uh, helping them start a herd. Are you doing any, you said you were helping kind of coach and talk to people about business building. Is there anything specific that you're doing in, in that regard to, to equipping the folks that maybe maybe yeah. there's a way that another person who is uh, kingdom called but is an entrepreneur and might want to invest in yeah. that aspect of your ministry that they might get passionate about? Can you sure. tell us about that? Yeah, and it's starting to become where they're actually, some of the disciples are actually coming to me and asking me to help them start a business. So it's gotten to that point where the education part's growing. Um, The foundation of what I've been teaching them and my colleagues is that the real, the real, um, that business, like if I have a shoe business, right? If I have a shirt business, if I have a coffee business, right? The business isn't really the coffee. The business is really what you do with the bank account. Mm -hmm. If you do that right, then you can pick any business to keep the business running. And so that's what I've been showing them is if you have, you know, 10 or 12 sacks of corn that come in every year and you eat 10 or 12 sacks of corn, you're always going to have 10 or 12 sacks of corn. But if three of them are used, you know, to either replant a field, rent a field, use it to, to sell, to get your workers to build your field or to buy another field, all of a sudden, your business is running your business. And then when that happens, your bank account can run your business. And it's basically just who has the most bags of money, you know? And once they learn that, then they start coming to me. Oh, well, I have this idea for a shoe business. Well, did you pray about it? Was it God or was this your uncle? And I, I disciple them that way. And when I feel peace that, that, that they've prayed about it and it's something God actually has called them to do, I'll take $100 of our money, $500 of money, and I'll invest it in them. And I'll tell them, you have a year, and we're going to walk out what I told you. And if you show me accountability when we're done, this portion of what I showed you grow, I'll give it completely back to you because I don't need it. I don't want it. I want them to be sustainable to where they don't have to worry about it. Their kids and their kids can grow. 
and that's starting to take off. So we've got a, a gal with a tomato business, a gal, a guy with a, a shoe business. Um, some of them go into Malawi, pick up the products and bring them back type thing. Uh, my discipleship group actually prayed and they were like, hey, we want to have a hospitality situation where some of these other villages 20 miles away that we're discipling when they come through town and we have to like figure out how we're going to feed them and shower them and stuff. If the whole Acts chapter 2 verse 40, if we have that hospitality available, we don't have to have three families carry the burden. And so they came up with the idea of a rice business so that, you know, Baba Ian helps sow into it one time and then they take off with it. Like, and then there's hospitality for believers that come into town and they're not going to the white guy all the time. It's amazing once they learn the principles, what's happened. These are people that have never gotten past fourth grade and they're getting it, you know? So that was when we left just a few months ago. There's three or four businesses that we had started and the ones that are following the principles, it's working, you know? I want to shift gears here real quick. Um, during the Music in the Round open mic night uh, mm-hmm. event, you you said something that struck me in a pretty profound way. You know, mm. um, all through my, I guess, like uh, adulthood, um, as I've talked with spiritual mentors and pastors and things, this this phrase continually is put before me. You have to know what you're called to do. Mm. But you put a different spin on that because, you know, uh, the devil's the great accuser. And if you put it in the context of what are you called to do and then you don't achieve what you believe you're called to do, then, then our culture, our Christian culture, our national culture is... Well, then you must have done something wrong. You must be in sin or you must be in you must be in in a in a bad place. And God's not going to honor that. You didn't Um, measure up. You didn't measure up. You should feel guilty. But but you asked a different question. Hmm. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I'm trying to go back to what you just said, which was so good. Um, The calling part. uh, What are you called to do? Yeah, and and it's like okay, everything is action oriented, but then you put the brakes on that. Yeah, I mean, in our conversation, oh, accuser, accuser the brethren. I mean, Satan right. is the accuser. I think that we don't want to sit and focus on him, but I think that's a really big point that can um, that can confuse a lot of people in the West because when we're driven of you accomplish something, you do something, you accomplish, you do. Something, there's a guilt that settle, that sets in if you don't do that, and anything that comes to kill, steal, and destroy is part of the accuser of the brethren. Everything everything that's abundant isn't. And so I heard a guy named Jamie Winship say this one time, and this leads to what I said that night. We're used to, you know, you and I were talking about this the other day, about you might be sitting in a Bible study or whatever else, and a lot of times it's just one guy teaching versus us asking each other questions about and processing what God's saying in a moment. And so I grew up with that, you know, going to a Bible study or I'd be sitting at a small... Uh, meeting or something and and someone trying to prove a point and in good intention would say something like hey do you know 10 uh, out of of 10 guys in this room you know eight of you are are, are looking at porn in the last five weeks and you're like the accuser showed up (laughs) but no one says it right we're thinking it we're all thinking well we're, we're thinking 
stinking other two guys. They had to ruin it for everybody. You know, like we were almost batting a hundred. Like, and and that's how it. Like that thought should actually cross our mind. In my opinion, of we're not part of his team. We're not part of the accuser of the brethren. You know, Jesus wouldn't stand up on a thing and say eight out of ten of you are important. He wouldn't say that. He never did stuff like that. He didn't have to because the, the general public accused themselves. So we're not part of that team. So how does that play into calling? Well, here it is. If I'm so focused on what I have to do in my calling, I'm never going to ask the Father what He wants me to know about myself for who I'm to be. If I'm not who I am to be, I'm not going to do what I'm supposed to do. Or I'm going to do it in the wrong motive and I'm either going to fail at it constantly or I'm going to crush others in the process. And that's how you know it's not their calling. Because the fruit of it is there's no peace. The fruit of it is just accomplishment. You know, um, sometimes this is another one. Sometimes people. So, so I want to stop yeah, right ahead, there yeah, and talk about measurement. So, so I come from a political science background and mm -hmm. from from a social science perspective, and we measure success through measurable outcomes. Yep. And, I and really, 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 the goal seems to be confused. We're using a man's idea of success, but you just clicked off on something. Is the peace associated with it? That's it. I mean, how many people can we look at in our in our lives who are successful by the world's terms? who have made it. They, yeah. They've got the income, the car, the house, the perfect wife, the, the great kids in college and all that. And yeah. they're like, wow, they've arrived. But then we look at their lives and say, how much peace is there? Through the and, struggle and through the joy, they carry peace. Yeah. And, and But if we just shifted gears and didn't look at, okay, I have 200 people in my congregation versus 10 people. And then look at, is there peace in that 200 yep. or is there peace in the 10? Yep. Now, if there's peace in the 200, awesome. Yeah. But whose accomplishment is it if there is no peace in the 200, but you have 200? Is that God's accomplishment, That's or it. is that you striving to achieve some kind of measurable outcome in the eyes of other people versus a measurable outcome that's meaningful in the eyes of God. Yeah. I mean, let's just simplify it. If you, if you have the gifting and the calling, Jason, to, to heal, to resurrect from the dead 100 people over the course of your life, and your brother has the, has the gifting and the ability and the calling to resurrect three, and on the day you see Jesus, he resurrected two, and you resurrected 25, who was most obedient? Who knew who they were? Oh, man, I knocked out 25. Yeah, but you didn't resurrect 75. Why? Right. You see how we can make it about the doing? Right. Well, it's because the guy didn't know who he was. But the guy that did two out of the three and lived under the bridge his whole life, he knew. And, that, and that's the challenge. Is the me I like the measurement thing you said because as I, as I wrap up these final comments, I wish I could show you my journal, man. I, I write to the Lord every day. And one day I said, what do you want me to talk, what do you want to, talk to me about? And he said, Measurements. Measurements. And you know what he said in a, in a summary? He was like, I was a carpenter. I had to measure everything. And I started laughing. I was like, and then he goes, but the grace of the measurement was in me anyway. It actually only measured up because I was there. Right. And it was blowing my mind. And he goes, Ian, in the end, the only thing that is going to matter 
is not whether you measured up, but whether I remembered you. That's your measurement. I remember you. I'm remembering you right now with these words. Well, this has been encouraging. This is an awesome, awesome opportunity to catch up with uh, our dear friend Ian Janeri. And we would encourage you to check out his uh, website and uh, his ministry. Go ahead and give that to us again one more time, Ian. Yeah, compelledones at gmail is how you can reach my family in Mozambique. And my music is Ian Christopher Music. So you've been listening to the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon. This is a special edition with missionary Ian Janeri. And uh, we hope that you walk away from this with some new perspective on your walk with Christ. If you haven't uh, already committed to a walk with Christ, we encourage you to seriously consider it and challenge the Father uh, to reveal himself to you in a mighty and miraculous way. It's a difficult and challenging time that we lived in, but there is uh, hope and you can walk away from this, hopefully with a little bit of encouragement and know that Ian is praying for you mm-hmm. as we are praying for you. And uh, just uh, keep up the good fight. And we look forward to meeting again here in the near future. Have a great day, everybody.